Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our Bible study series on the life of Peter. We're calling from fisherman to follower of Jesus. And we're getting very close to the end. I think we only have two, three, maybe four lessons left in Peter's life. Um, And we're going to be wrapping that up. And I'm already praying about and investigating um, what we might study next. Tonight, the title of our lesson is Dealing with Criticism. Have any of you ever had to deal with criticism? Anybody ever been criticized? I'm sure that none of you have ever criticized anyone else. Right? You know, we use the word criticized. It can feel sometimes like judgment and condemnation. But have you ever been criticized for something that you did that you know was the right thing to do? Yeah. You say, every time I've been criticized, that's the way it is. Because I always do the right thing, right? (laughs) How does that make you feel when somebody criticizes you for doing something that you know is the right thing to do? How does it make you feel? Chris? (laughs) <laughs> you, just, you just remember what the Bible says, that vengeance is mine? Okay. Evita. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you know you did the right thing, you just let it water, ro- roll off your back, like the old thing, water off a duck's back? You find that easy to do? No. John? You want to lash out, right? Right. Yeah, you get upset. You want to. You feel attacked, right? Yeah, yeah. Does criticism have to be an attack? No, it all depends on how the criticism is offered, isn't it? And we need to think about that because right now we're thinking about when we've been criticized, but there are times that we have criticized and hopefully we've done it right. And if not, maybe tonight we can learn how to do it right. That's part of what we want to look at from our story here. Okay, but we're going to be looking at a story here in Acts chapter 11 when Peter was criticized for something he did. And the people that are criticizing him don't know the full story yet. But Peter was just doing what he himself would have criticized under other circumstances. But God told him to do it. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 11. First of all, we're going to look at the story, kind of zip through that. And then we're going to draw some practical application out of it. What we do when we're criticized and then... um, What to do when you're tempted to criticize somebody else. All right. So we're going to jump into the story. Again, it's Acts chapter 11. And got it broken up into four very uneven parts. But the first part is Peter is criticized for his actions at Cornelius' house. Peter is criticized for his actions at Cornelius' house. Now, most of you have been in these studies over the last several weeks um, as we've been studying the life of Peter, and we've looked at this situation in Cornelius's house actually for the last two lessons. But a quick review. Peter is out away from Jerusalem, traveling around. God's using him to heal people, that kind of stuff. He ends up in a seaside town, Mediterranean seaside town called Joppa, and he's staying there for a while, teaching and discipling some people. Um, in Caesarea, about, I think it's 30 miles away, is a Gentile Roman centurion who loves God. And fears the Jewish God. He's not a proselyte. He's not gone the full route to become a full-fledged 
convert to Judaism because that means he has to be circumcised. And all. He's not doing that, okay? But he serves God. He prays. He gives to people in need. And one day he's praying, and God sends a messenger. He sends an angel and says, I've got some, I got some good news for you. Um, and you need to send some people down to Joppa. Look for a guy named Peter. He's staying in a house by the seaside um, with another guy by the name of Simon, who's a tanner. And have him come up here. He's got a message for you. So Cornelius sends the messenger. And so along the, that same time frame, Peter is uh, staying in this home. And one day at noontime, it's lunchtime. He's hungry. Lunch is not quite ready. So he's up on the roof, which was a living area. And he's praying. And he sees this vision three times. God gives him a vision of a sheet. Great big, the, the, the word for it actually is like a big sail from a ship. Lowered down, full of all kinds of animals. Clean and unclean. And what defines clean and unclean is the Jewish dietary laws that God gave his people. There were certain animals they could eat, certain ones they couldn't. All right? And so there's both clean and unclean. And in the vision, God says, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh, Lord, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything unclean, talking about according to Jewish law, in my life. And God says, if I say it's clean, don't you say it's unclean. He has the vision three times. And we know three is Peter's magic number. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus talked to him three times. Do you love me? And he restored him. So three must be his magic number. And so Peter is pondering, what does this dream mean when the messengers from Cornelius show up? And they say, hey, listen, our master wants you to come back, blah, 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 blah. And Peter, through the direction of the Holy Spirit and understanding of the dream, says, this is what God's talking about. Normally, I would not go to a Gentile's house and spend time with a Gentile because that would be unclean. But God's obviously saying it's okay. Don't call something unclean that's clean. Now, that may raise the question, why would he consider going to a Gentile's house unclean? Well, first of all, because he might be offered something unclean to eat. So that ties into the dream, too. And I can't do that. But the strictest of Jews, and there are a lot of them, okay, said the Gentiles uh, are just an unclean people. I mean, they don't know God. They don't love God. And we need to have as little to do with them as possible. And so, you, you know, if you were, according to the Jewish mindset, if you were really, really trying to live for God, you didn't have anything to do with Gentiles that you didn't need to do. And you definitely didn't go to their houses. You didn't eat with them. You know, if you had to do business with them, you did. If you had to invite them to your house, you can control what you're going to eat. So that's okay. But keep it as brief as possible. So Peter travels with them back up to Caesarea. He goes into the house and Cornelius he welcomes him, and he says, normally I wouldn't do this, but God made it very clear I'm supposed to do this. He starts preaching about Jesus. He gives the basic gospel message. He hasn't even finished his sermon yet when the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, his whole household, all his friends and relatives that he's gathered together, and they're saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, begin to speak in other tongues, and Peter says, we got to baptize these guys. <laughs> and so they did. So that's what happened. All right. Now we look at the beginning of chapter 11 here. All right. The first three verses, again, Peter is criticized for his actions. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem. Okay, this is like 60 miles away. I think it's about 60 miles. Anyway, throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, stop right there real quick. We're used to the idea that God wants to save everybody in the world. Okay, it doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter, you know, what religion you're from, what nation you're from. God wants to save everybody. But 
The original church did not understand that. They believed that Jesus came for everyone, but the only everyone he came for was every one of the Jews. Okay, they really didn't get that Jesus came for everyone, everyone. All right? And so um, they said the Gentiles had received the word of God. This was shocking news. This is what in the world is going on? Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. All right? So they heard at least part of the story. They did hear enough to say, well, these Gentiles received the word of God. doesn't really indicate whether they heard that they had also become believers or not, but the word received kind of gives that indication. But what are they focused on? Are they focused on the fact that Gentiles are listening to the gospel? What are they criticizing Jesus? What are they criticizing Peter for? He went to the Gentiles and he ate with them. Okay, I mean, forget the good news, the Gentiles are getting saved. What in the world is Peter doing? And these are Christian people, okay? This is not just the, the Jewish people like that gave Jesus a hard time for hanging out with sinners and eating with them, and those were Jewish sinners. Now Peter's hanging out with Gentile sinners and eating with them. And yeah, yeah, he says he gets saved, but he went to be with them, and he ate with them, and so they're really upset about this, okay? And as I just described, the reason it's such a big deal is because for the Jews, the culture and the religion and the the conflict between their religion and their belief in God um, and the whole heathen Gentile world was just too big of a barrier to cross even for those who had become Christians at this time. And God obviously has got to get over that, you know, help them get over that so they can reach the world. And this is the hurdle that helps them begin getting over that. Um, We're not going to study it as part of this study because it's not Peter's life, but the very next chapter talks about the first Gentile church and how God really poured out his spirit and began to use and send people all over the world. And it's the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas and all that kind of stuff, okay? So this is the kind of watershed moment when the church has got to wake up and realize that God really does love everyone, not just every one of the Jews, but everyone in the world, and wants to reach them for Jesus, And so he's trying to get across in this idea that even though Christianity has come out of Judaism, it's not just something that was added onto it, okay? Um, And it's not just for the people that are already in Judaism. And the big issue for the church is if a Gentile wants to become a Christian, he doesn't have to become a Jew first because that's kind of the attitude they had. If a Gentile wants to become a Christian, well, they need to become a Jew first and keep the law, get circumcised, and all that kind of stuff. All right. All right. So that was the criticism. All right. Now, who was it that criticized Peter? The Jews? They were Jews. Was it all of the Jews? The people that had education and standing? Okay. We know that those are the ones that gave Jesus a hard time. If we look at the text here, it says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. That can be translated, the words that are used can be translated a couple different ways. It can be translated as talking about all the Jewish Christians, or more probably, it could be talking about just a group of them. The ones that were so adamant about if a Gentile wants to become a Christian, they must become a Jew first, which may not include all of them. Notice it says that the apostles and the brothers heard about this, But when Peter went up, it was the circumcision party that criticized him. 
Okay, now, depending on what translation you have, it may be translated a little bit different, but that's in the English Standard Version that I'm using here. So it may just be referring to one specific group of people who are very hardcore Jewish Christians. And I put the emphasis on the Jewish on purpose, okay? They are Christians, but they're really clinging to their Jewishness. All right? Okay, that's going to be important a little bit later on. So the second part of the story is Peter explains the reason for his actions. Verses 4 to 14. And this is basically a complete but brief summary of what happened the previous chapter. Starting in verse 4, it says, But Peter began and explained it to them in order. All right, so he says, I'm going to explain to him exactly what happened. Here's what happened step by step by step. This is exactly how God led me, what happened, and why I did what I did. Verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were and sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. He's got six Jewish brothers that were with him in Joppa. He invited them to go to Cornelius' house with him. They were there. Now they're still with him. He's a smart guy. I've got witnesses, okay, and prayer support. Anyway, these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, verse 13. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Okay? So he's got these six brothers that were with him in Joppa. They travel with the group to Caesarea. They're still with him. And we've discussed this in the previous lessons. Why did these six brothers go with him? Well, Paul, uh, Peter invited them, but probably to give him support. They were friends of his and as witnesses. He knew that something was going on. God was shaking some things up. And uh, he didn't know what it was. And he probably wanted to have witnesses. And so it's a good thing that he did. And they were with him. And from the last lesson, from two weeks ago, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Cornelius' house, these six guys are astonished. All right, it's like... They couldn't believe what was happening, and they're right there watching it, okay? It's interesting in verse 14, we get a little bit more information about what the angel said to Cornelius. Um, It says here that the angel told Cornelius that Peter will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. That's the first we're hearing of that. Um, In chapter 10, it just says the angel says, send for Peter, he's got some important things to tell you. In this uh, this, uh, chapter, Part of the story tells us that the angel specifically told him that the message he's going to receive is what will save him, him and his household. So Peter is explaining the reason for his action. What is the main justification that Peter gives for why he did what he did? They're complaining, they're criticizing, you went to be with Gentiles, and not only did you go to be with them, but you ate with them. What is Peter's main justification? What? Obedience to... To God. Yeah. He says, God told me to. All right? Now, that's very important. Uh, But how many of you ever heard somebody tell you 
that they did something because God told them to, and you're like, I'm not real sure that God told you to do that. All right? Why would we doubt, perhaps, sometimes that God told somebody, if they said they claimed that God told them? What would be some things that would cause me to doubt, cause us to doubt somebody that said they did what they did because God told them to? Because it doesn't line up with God's word. Hmm? Whether you can trust the person you're talking to or not. Okay, let's go back to that idea, though. Does it lines up with, to God's, with God's word? Okay. Um, in this case, we know from the story, God did tell Peter. The Jewish people would probably say, well, this doesn't line up with God's word. But does it or does it not? This whole idea of not spending time with Gentiles and not eating with them. Did God ever say to his people that they shouldn't spend time with Gentiles, that they shouldn't eat with them or associate with them? Can anybody think of any time that God said that? No. Then why did the Jews believe in that so strongly? Because of what? They saw themselves as special because God had told them they were special, right? Yeah. And what did you say? Custom? Because of their customs and traditions. We talked about that many times that over the centuries, the Jewish people, especially religious, have built up so many traditions and customs that they gave the same level of authority as God's word. Okay? You know, the Jews, unfortunately, and we can't complain as the church because we as the church get it messed up too. But the Jew, original idea was that God was going to adopt the Jewish people as a special people. They were special to God. But the purpose was so that they would have a fantastic relationship. They would serve God. He would bless them and the rest of the world would say, I want what they've got. But instead, the Jewish people with their special relationship with God looked at the world and said, I want what they got. And they pursued the world and they pursued idols and it diluted the, the, the Old Testament, what I would call gospel, uh, it's not the same thing because the gospel is Jesus dying, but the good news of the Old Testament is that this Jewish God could be anybody's God. And it diluted that. And so the, the Jew, Jews became more and more isolated and insulated and kept themselves away from people, and that built up into tradition till we get to the New Testament, and it's like, don't have anything to do with Gentiles. That wasn't God's plan. Vita, you had your hand up. That's true, because there were times that God warned them about people that were not Jewish people, about the Gentiles. But the warnings were always always geared toward don't adopt their customs, don't adopt their lifestyle, don't start following their gods. But if they want to follow your God, if they want to become part of you, then do that. But instead, they built this wall, you know. And so that's a very good point, Vita. Lisa. That's right. Be their friend, but you influence them. Don't let them influence you. And you know what? The church faces the same thing, doesn't it? You know, don't you see that churches have a tendency to go one or two extremes? You know, either to isolate. uh, I want to live for Jesus. I want to be the best Christian I can be. I need to cut off all my non-Christian friends. I need to spend as little time as possible with the people at work that aren't Christians. And and we isolate and insulate ourselves from the world. that's not what God wants. Or they can go to the other end, like, we really want to reach the world for Jesus, so let's become just like him. No, we've got to have the balance in between. We've got to have the relationships. We need to pursue those things, but not become like them. Like Lisa just said, they need to become like us, not us like them. Not because we're so wonderful, but because we're trying to follow Jesus. Chris, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. That's where we're headed next. Before we do, though, on your note sheet there, you probably feel, figure this out. Peter's actions were in obedience to God. When I said, what was the main justification? He was obeying. That's what Tim had said. And that's exactly it. Peter's actions were in obedience to God. But God justified. Okay? Um, 
Peter's actions we see in the next section. Number three, Peter explains the result of his actions. All right, he just explained what he did. Now he's going to uh, and why he did it, but now he's going to explain to them what happened as a result. And this is key, verses 15 to 17. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Talking about the day of Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, I don't think that Peter was trying to poke at them or threaten them, but it's almost as if he's saying, I didn't want to get in God's way, and if you keep criticizing me, you're going to be getting in God's way. (laughs) Standing in God's way. So anyway, Peter explained the result of his actions. He said the Holy Spirit came on them just as he came on us. What was the proof that the Holy Spirit came on them just as he did on the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost? They were speaking in tongues, all right? You know, on the day of Pentecost, there were some other things. There was the sound of wind, the appearance as of fire. Um, those things didn't happen at Cornelius' house. But if you think about it, on the day of Pentecost, that wasn't the sign of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, that happened before the Holy Spirit came. I think that was just God's way of getting their attention. But then when the Holy Spirit came, they all began to speak in other tongues. And we see that the same thing happened when the Holy Spirit, uh, when Cornelius' house came um, to know Jesus as their Savior. And that's a Pentecostal distinctive that, you know, we believe that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that the ability to speak in other tongues is made available to every one of God's people as a prayer language, okay? So we see here that God's actions justified Peter's actions. That's on your note sheet there. Peter basically said, you know, here's another reason why I know that this is the right thing. Not only did I go because the Spirit told me to go, but when I preached the gospel, I mean, I didn't finish and God did something. I didn't manipulate it. I didn't call for it. I didn't ask for it. And Peter might have even said, I didn't even expect it, you know. But God sent the Holy Spirit. And so God's actions of sending the Holy Spirit was such an obvious sign, okay? It justified Peter's actions. And the second thing on your note sheet there, to refuse to accept Cornelius and his people would be to oppose God. He said, it's obvious God did this. And if I did not accept it, then I'd be guilty of opposing God. Then we get to the last verse there, the last section of the story. The critics accept Peter's explanation. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So there's a, temp- there's a temporary lull in this storm, because this storm's going to come up again. All right? Um, Paul, God's going to call Paul to go preach to the Gentiles. And when he comes back, this circumcision party is going to be all up in arms. In fact, they're going to send people out where, people, where Paul preaches and to tell his converts, by the way, y'all got to be circumcised. Y'all got to keep the law. And Paul's going to be battling that. You know, that's what the book of Galatians is all about. These people are coming into the churches and telling these new Gentile Christians, hey, you guys got to act like Jews now. And Paul says, no, you don't. No, you don't. And it took a couple of years for the church to get that all worked out. And we're going to see in a, in a couple of weeks in another lesson on Peter in, in, in um, Acts 15. It comes to head in a big council in Jerusalem where everybody's kind of together and they're kind of arguing it back and forth. And do they or don't they? Do they or don't they? 
And Peter's one of the key witnesses there, okay? But for the time being, the ones who are being critical right now are accepting what Peter says. I mean, what are they going to say? You know, God did that? I still don't like it. (laughs) You know, so anyway, they decided that to continue to object would be to oppose God also, and they wisely decided to back off. Before we go on to the application here, it says then that they glorify God, saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's kind of an unusual phrase, repentance that leads to life. What does that mean, repentance that leads to life? What does repentance and leading to life, what, how does that tie together? Any thoughts? Take over the lifestyle of Christ. Okay, so when you repent, you turn from your old lifestyle to take on a new lifestyle. Um, and I agree with that 100%. But there's one also, also step beyond that is that it leads to eternal life. You know, and that lifestyle is representative of that eternal life. Yeah. You know, repentance brings us to a place of eternal life. Okay. So let's talk about some application, and I've got some points here that I've kind of drawn from. But before I get to them, um, what can we learn from this story about how we should, could respond when we're being criticized? What are some principles that maybe we can draw from this story about how we should respond or could respond when we're criticized? I know you're all looking at the notes I got there with the blanks and trying to fill in the blanks, but yeah. What, what are some things from Peter's example, perhaps, that we can learn about how to respond when people criticize us? Vita. Anywhere. Okay. Well, that's more along the lines of, of what to do if we want to criticize. But how about if somebody's criticizing us? How do we respond? Because if they're criticizing us, we don't need to go get the facts because we're the ones with the facts. You see what I'm saying? So when we're being criticized, how should we respond? John. Okay, you explain to him. I mean, that's obviously what Peter did. He explained I mean, that goes to what Vita says, the people should get the facts, so we explain the facts. All right, Chris? So however we respond, we respond in a good, positive manner, right? Okay. We respond to the negative with the positive. That's good. Veronica? Mm-hmm. Okay. Think about what they're saying and think about what you're going to say in response. Don't say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. The first thing that comes out of our, the first thing that comes to our mind, is not always the best thing to say. I heard an old saying one time: somebody was really guilty of saying, uh, "How does that go?" Something about um, they'd put their mouth in gear before their brain was in gear, or something like that. So anyway, okay. Yeah, that's all good advice. Let me give you the ones I've got, um, and there's overlap between what you've said and what I've got here. But these are some principles I drew out here. Number one: keep in mind that not everyone is criticizing you. When someone is criticizing you or a group of people perhaps are criticizing you, it doesn't always feel like everybody's against you. Isn't that what the enemy would like you to believe? Keep in mind that it's not everybody. Okay? Um, that's why I made the point out of that we can't tell 100% for sure, but it seems to indicate that it's not all the people in Jerusalem that are criticizing Peter. They're probably really wondering what's going on, but they're not the, it's the circumcision party. All right? And so we need to make sure that we don't allow, when we're feeling criticized, or we are being criticized, not just feeling, being criticized, that we don't let the devil convince us that everybody's against us. And I can just tell you this, that I've been very fortunate as a pastor that I've not had to deal with this much in ministry, okay? But you do a little bit, but not any more than probably you do, so I'm not trying to draw sympathy or whatever, 
But the thing I have to remember as a pastor, that if I hear that somebody's a little upset by something I said or something that I did or, or whatever, you know, and sometimes you get people come and say, well, there's some people that aren't, well, who are they? Well, I don't really feel good in sharing about it. And it's like, well, if you're not going to share, I'm not going to pay attention to it. If they're not, they don't want their name behind it, then, you know, anonymous critical letters should just go in the trash if they don't want to sign their, letter to, their name to it. Because that's not the way you deal with problems. If you really think there's a problem, you need to put your name behind it. That's a whole other thing. But anyway, um, but the enemy, you know, and I've talked to many pastors, you know, who struggles in the church or whatever, and they just feel like everybody's against it. Not necessarily. But we have a tendency to focus on the criticism, don't we? Why do we focus so much on the criticism? Because nobody wants to be criticized. We want to be right. We want to be thought that we're right. We want to be liked. But not only that, who are the most vocal ones? The critics, right? And so let me just add a little side thing here that you guys are fantastic at, okay? And, and I just want to encourage you to be fantastic at it with each other and not just with me and my wife. And that is, this is a really good point for we always need to be encouragers because there's always going to be somebody that wants to criticize us and tear us down. And so we need to be very, very active about encouraging and saying the positive when we can. And you guys are always that way. You guys are so encouraging to me and my wife, you know? And um, I can tell you that we went through a really difficult situation in a previous church where there's a group of people that were very much against what was going on um, because, well, I'm not going to get into a lot of details, but it was an all-white church that called us in because they were dying and they needed to become multicultural. And once it started happening, there was a core group of people that wasn't really happy that it was happening. That there are people from other races and stuff coming to the church and all kinds of stuff. But you know one of the things that was the thing that gave us the most strength through those times, because it was a tough time, was all the people that came alongside and said, Pastor, we're with you. You're doing the right thing. These people are very vocal. They're very whatever. They got a lot of money. They're threatening to pull their money out of the church, and they did. But that's okay. We still kept going. But anyway, um, it's the encouragers, all right? So when you're being criticized, keep in mind that not everyone is criticizing. If literally everyone is criticizing you, then maybe you are doing something wrong. That's a whole other issue, okay? Okay, second thing, don't respond in anger. You know, we know this in personal relationships. Anytime you respond in anger, even if you're 100% right, you've already started causing more problems, right? Proverbs, you guys know this, Proverbs 15, when a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we see that in Peter. He just, he's just... Let me just explain myself. Um, Number three, give a calm, truthful explanation. It can be very effective. And this is important to be truthful. When you're criticized, you might want to have the tendency to kind of embellish things, to exaggerate. You know, don't do that. Because if you do that and you're caught in a lie, it just gives the critics more ammunition. Just calmly and truthfully relate the facts. Either they're going to accept it or they're not. All right? They're going to believe it or not. And, and, And notice that Peter takes the time to do this. You know what Peter could have said? He says, you know what? I was Jesus' right-hand man. I did this because God told me to. I am currently the leader of the church. I don't have to explain myself to you. Can I tell you, if you're in leadership, that's not the way to lead. But whether you're in leadership or not, if somebody's criticizing you, that's not the way to respond either. You know, and Peter could have said all those things, and they've all been true. But no, he very calmly, truthfully explained what happened, all right? The fourth one is really important. I think somebody mentioned this already. Ask yourself and God if there's any truth in the criticism. Because, you know, sometimes people are criticizing us, and maybe a bunch of it's not true or whatever, but there may be a little bit of truth in that, okay? 
Um, I can tell you that I, I've, I, I can't think of a specific one, but I've heard many times over the years pastors who have given the advice that, you know, when people are critical of you or they write you a letter that they're upset about something, you know, and you know you're doing the right thing, you still need to say, is there anything that's really true about this? Is there anything? Because, you know, you may be like 90% totally on track, but 10% off and a little bit of criticism, if we don't just reject it out of hand because we don't like being criticized, can help us to get more on track. And so um, it's always good. I like this thing. Don't ignore criticism based on the individual who's offering it because even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you may have somebody criticizing you say, they're the most nutty person at work. Okay. And that may be true. But, you know, there's, there may be a little bit of truth to what they're saying. So, anyway, be honest. Ask yourself if there's any truth to what they're saying or anything you can learn from it. All right. And sometimes it's the type of thing you can say, well, you know, I did the right thing, but if that ever happens again, maybe I'll do it a little bit differently because the way it was perceived or the way it impacted this person, it could have been done differently. It would have been helpful. All right. The last one is work hard to maintain unity, even with critics. Now, we're talking about in the church, but this is good advice for work or family or anything. Okay. If Peter wouldn't have worked so hard to try to explain himself and, and keep them on board, the church could have split right here, you know, um, into a group that was willing to accept Gentiles and a group that absolutely refused to. And it didn't. The church was united still for centuries. And can I tell you that if you study church history, I think many times when there were church splits and different denominations, a lot of times it didn't really have to happen. Now, God still continues to use that situation with different denominations and groups that are split because of doctrinal things or whatever, practice or whatever. Any place people are truly living for God and serving Jesus as Lord, God will use them. But I think the church could have been a whole lot more unified today than it is and because of centuries of history. Because when there was conflict or whatever, there's criticism, maybe there was too quick of a, of a, of a decision to, we're just going to split and do our own thing. Now, if it's a difference between truth and heresy, you know, or a righteous lifestyle and, hey, we're going to live like we please and still claim to be Christians, there needs to be a separation. But when there's a difference of opinion or a difference of perspective on things in God's word or whatever, there can still be unity. And we should work for unity. And we certainly know that's important to God and to Jesus. All right? All right. So the second part of the application, when you're tempted to criticize. Of course, when we're criticized, the other people are wrong. But when we want to criticize us because we know that we're right, right? What can we learn from this story about what we should do or how we should go about it when we are tempted to criticize? And maybe it's like, well, I don't want to, quote, criticize, but yet I feel like I need to bring this up. We need to talk about this. There's something that's not right. What can we learn this, from this story about how we should go about doing that? Can you think of anything? John. Perspective. Okay, make sure you've got all the facts. Get the other person's perspective. And that goes back to what Vita said earlier. Okay, you need to have all the facts. Yeah. What else? Vita. It's not always what it seems like. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody do something or heard them or heard about it. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what? Blah, 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 blah. And, and, and then you find out why they did what they did or why this. And, and it was accurate what you heard. But when you find out what was behind it, it's like, oh, now I understand. You know, and that's so important when you're in leadership. But that's so important in any situation. Yeah. All right, well, let's go through this because it's time to stop. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, what Vita says, keep in mind that things are not always as they seem. 
Don't jump to a conclusions. There may be an explanation that you haven't thought of. Again, I've so many times I've seen somebody do something. It's like they should not have done that. When I found out why they did it, it's like, oh, that makes sense now. Okay. Number two, take your concerns to the people involved. Don't grumble, complain, or gossip. I do not know what the believers in the church in Jerusalem did. I don't know if they were grumbling and complaining before Peter came uh, came to town. Um, And even if they were having a discussion about it because they'd heard this, doesn't mean it was wrong. It depends on how they were going about it. But it's obvious that when Peter showed up, they went to him. Okay? And can I say, this is so important in a church. We don't need to be grumblers and complainers and gossipers. If there is a perceived problem, you need to go to the person who can do something about it. Not to gossip and grumble and complain, but to say, here's a concern I have. Go to a leader. Go to the pastor. Go to one of the elders. The elders know, and we're all in agreement. If somebody, if, if you got a complaint, you go to one of the elders, they're going to say, you know what? If it has to do with me, let's go talk to Pastor Tim about it, you know? If somebody comes to you and they want to gossip and complain and whatever, say, hey, you know what? Let's go talk to them together. I'll go with you, all right, to go talk to them about it. Get the whole story. Get this all worked out. A lot of times if they don't have the purest of uh, motives or intentions, that'll just shut them up, you know? So, but take your concerns to the people involved. Don't grumble, complain, or gossip. Number three, get all the facts. Going back to what Vita said earlier. Uh, there's a passage in Proverbs 18, 17 that's not specific toward this, but the principle's the same. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Have you ever been watching like a, a, a crime show or something? There's a court situation and the ones that the prosecution's given all their evidence like, oh my goodness, they are guilty. And then the defense gives, there's like, oh, maybe not. You know, you know, you need to hear both sides of an issue. All right. Um, get all the facts. Now, there's one exception to that. Get all the facts unless it's none of your business. In other words, don't be a busybody. Don't be a prior. You know, just because you heard about a situation, if you're not involved in it and it really has none, it's none of your business, just stay out of it. All right? That's a whole other issue. Last one, number four. If your concern proves unfounded, be willing to admit it and put the issue behind you. That's what these people did. As soon as Peter explained it, laid it out there, they said, you know what? We don't want to be guilty of opposing what God's doing. So we're going to back up. Now, again, it wasn't permanent. They still had to wrestle all the way through this. But... They were willing to admit it. And, and, and we need to be willing to admit when we're wrong. When our perception of something that was said or done was wrong. You know? And put it behind us. So when God makes something clear, we should accept it and respond with obedience and joy. That's exactly what they did. So there's some good practical application about how to deal with criticism and how to deal with ourselves when we feel the inclination to try to criticize. Or we just have a concern that we want to see dealt with, how to deal with it properly. All right, our time's over, so let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we had to look at Peter's life, an episode there, and learn some things that definitely apply to our lives. So, Father, help us to put into practice the things that we've learned. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaks.com. 
kg.org.